Welcome to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast, a podcast about being gay and sober and not just on Sundays. In this podcast, we'll explore the ins and outs of being queer and sober in a world where drinking and using are woven into the fabric of our culture. This season, we'll be hearing the stories of addiction and recovery from sober gays from all over the world. Every story of recovery is unique in its own way, and every story deserves to be heard. So let's go. In this episode, we welcome Ray Diesel. Ray Diesel is an international porn star and sex worker living in Los Angeles. Please welcome Ray. So good morning. Welcome to the pod. How are you doing? I am doing okay. Woke up, slept well. Excellent. So I feel a little rested today. There we go. We're here for it. Traveling a little bit, I hear. All right. Yeah. So um, why don't we start off by you telling us your name, your pronouns, and a little bit about yourself. I'm Ray Diesel. That is my stage name. Uh, I just say he, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to get canceled. Um, <laughs> but I'm a male, so I'm a he. Um, a little about myself. Let's see. Well, I have a little over 19 years of sobriety. Um, I started my porn career in the midst of getting sober. Uh, let's see. That's pretty much it. Uh, I'm a sex worker. Uh, and through all that, I have been sober. Being a sex worker, not ashamed of it, uh, has helped me travel the world and to give back to different communities and to help family out. So that's why I'm not ashamed of it. But yeah, it's been a weird journey. Why don't you take us back to the very beginning when you first started using or drinking and then just kind of take us through your story from then up until where you are now. Yeah, well, um, I grew up in an alcoholic house. My father was an alcoholic, really bad. My brothers was all on drugs. I'm from North Carolina um, and growing up in the South, we didn't hear about a lot of different drugs. You know, I just... I grew up in the liquor houses because my father would take me to the liquor houses. I always told myself that I would never be that dad. And I never was going to do beer because that's what my dad, that's the only thing I ever smelt on my father's breath growing up was beer. So I was like, I'm never going to drink beer. Well, I stayed to that. <laughs> but yeah, so I grew up pretty much by myself, unless I was at my grandmother's house hanging out with my cousin. So I always felt un not part of, and I always felt like there was something different, which was I was gay. Mm -hmm. And so another thing to deal with in the South and not coming to terms with that. But yeah, so like you started in my early 20s. I, well, a little before that, I started drinking, but I was never a big drinker. Drink Drinking is not really part of my story, to be quite honest. I have been drunk, but it is not part of my story because I don't like feeling out of control. Alcohol, you can't really be in control because like once you're at that level, you start doing stuff and you can't really control your emotions, you can't control your actions. I didn't like that. So I didn't drink that much. So what started you on your path to drugs? Raves. So, yes, I did cocaine. Um, 
I did it at one time, but I didn't really get, like get hooked. I just liked it, but I didn't do it on a regular basis. I did it. I did it a couple of times. I'll go out, you know, go to the Kiki's after the, after the parties. You know, I start doing more and more of that. Then I start dipping dabbing. I remember the first time I did ecstasy. <laughs> you know, which was crazy because I ended up getting a job while I was high on ecstasy. <laughs> <There you> go. <laughs> Working at a club of all places, like I'm fucked up, come to the promote the owner and is like, I really want to work here. I promise you, I really want to work here. He was like, okay, just come tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, yes. And so I started my journey in drugs in North Carolina, which I'm going to say this now. I am very thankful. I'm very happy that I did that. Because the environment was way different than it would have been like L.A., you know, or New York. You know, I had a group of friends. They was my friends. They was my club family. But we were family. We looked after each other. We made sure like, yeah, we read each other. We talk shit about each other. But like if we're going to make sure that you're going to be OK because you represent us. So we go into a club and you're being messy. You got to go. We got to go because we're together. We're not going to put you in a corner and let you be messy because everybody knows you with us. So that's how it was. So that's why I'm I'm grateful that I did do drugs or I started doing drugs in North Carolina because they did kind of teach me the ways, I guess you would say, of how to do it. But Coke was like my my favorite girl. She, like, you know, we called her Kathy and that's who we I hung out with. It started being every weekend and then it turned into every week. You go to the drag shows, you know, you have a little bit of, you know, Miss Kathy with you and do a little bumpy bumps, you know. And that became my habit. You know, I had like I just it was the one thing that was keeping me not having to focus on what's really going on in my life. Yeah. You know, the bad stuff that was happening, not really having someone to live. I was literally just living off of people's couches, but I thought I was doing OK. My job wasn't that great, whatever. So, I mean, it was cool at that time. But eventually I was introduced to Miss Tina. Mm -hmm. yep. And first I didn't, I was like, I'm not getting this drug. I don't I don't understand it because what my friends gave me was crank. They called it crank. So it was like the redneck. The redneck, if that's what they would call it, it's the redneck version. It's not <laughs> that great. And then, so I didn't really like it. I was like, no, I think I'm going to just stick with my Coke. It's, you know, this this is not my thing. I didn't like ecstasy because, again, I couldn't be in control. And I and I liked being in control. I like, even though it was hot, I wanted to be in control, control with my thoughts, how I acted, you know, thought process i so i always end up doing uppers i hated downers you know plus downers always made me have a seizure <laughs> there you go that's a good reason enough not to do it yes so every time i did a downer if i had to pop some pills with alcohol or if i smoke weed any of that i would have a seizure wow does happen so um but then i then someone introduced me to crystal again but this is a better form of crystal. And I was taught how to do it. I smoked it right away. And it's, I was like, okay. 
it was one of those things like Tino's like, you can't be friends with Kathy anymore. You have to make a decision. This is either me or her. And most likely it's going to be me. So I stopped doing coke because I didn't like the, the trans. You can't do both together. It just didn't work. And I liked again that, you know, I could be up, I could socialize because part of my addiction was not just the drugs. Part of my addictions was the people. Mm-hmm. Like I never set up and did drugs on my own. I never was that type to buy something and be closed in a dark room and getting high for days. Like I hated that. I didn't like doing that. Even when people came to my place, the party, the when the, the curtain is going to be open, we're going to go with the day. We're going to like have a good time. I was addicted to the socialness of it. I needed people around me. So I would get shit to try to get people to come over. You know, like, because that was that was that was part of my addiction. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't like being alone. I hated being alone. And this was what keeping people around me. So, you know, I I would say I was very popular in North Carolina. I didn't spend that much money on drugs like mm-hmm. others was. You know, all the drug dealers loved me. They loved my personality. They loved coming over my house, my apartment, and hanging out. And I thought I was cool. I thought I was popular. But honestly, looking back at it, it was I was really sad. I mean, like I was doing dumb shit like I should have been locked up many times because I was doing dumb shit. Like I was holding drug dealers drugs yeah. because I wanted to let them know that they can trust me. I'm their friends. I'm looking out for them. I was driving around with like eight balls underneath my seat and getting pulled over by the cops. Now, mind you, this is North Carolina. I'm a black man in North Carolina. You know, I was that one that was cocky enough to just realize that I'm just pay cool. It's going to be okay. And that did. I got away with so much. Yeah. I was driving with no license and I would have drugs in my car and they never searched my car. They would just be like, drive to the nearest payphone, call somebody to pick you up. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those godsends that I look back now and be like, wow, I could have been having a felony right now. I could have still been in prison right now because I would have a lot of drugs on me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was a part-time drug dealer. That's why I call it part-time work, you know, because guys, everybody knew me. So guys would give me stuff, get rid for them. And I would tell them, look, don't give me a lot. Because this is like, this is part-time work for me. And like any part-time job, you're going to have asset. So if you give me a lot and if I don't get rid of it, it is going to be used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if I go to a Kiki and no one got money, it's going to get used. So, you know, that was my lifestyle with drugs. Uh, you know, in North Carolina, it got bad. It started getting bad because I started losing friendships. I, well, I was losing friendships because I wasn't feeling part of. I was, I was, I, everybody else was doing normal stuff and I wasn't. So I kept finding myself hanging out with people that was lesser than me. Or well, I felt they was lesser than me. So it made me feel better to do the drugs and not have a good life going on because look at their lives. It's even worse, yeah. you know? So I end up going down that road. You just keep, you keep, and you keep finding you keep finding people that's lesser than you to make yourself feel better. And that's what I was doing. But it was a, at a certain point, I wasn't happy. I was very bitter and I was very mad. And I was like, I don't know. I, I just was not happy. And I thought I was not going to escape North Carolina. If I didn't escape North Carolina, 
I thought I was going to die or live a miserable life. So one day I packed up and I told everybody I was moving. And um, because, you know, I thought I would do better. And I moved somewhere that I was not supposed to move to. I was supposed to move to D.C. Everybody thought I moved to D.C. I went to the Greyhound station to get my ticket to go to D.C. And I saw Los Angeles. And I'm like, I'm going to Los Angeles. Wow. Never been. Don't know nobody. (laughs) Wow. But I got on a Greyhound bus and took myself to L.A. And... I had my little meltdown as soon as I got there because I'm like, what the fuck did I just do? I only have $150 to my name now and I'm staying in the motel room. What should I do? And I called my mom and she was like, you can come home or you need to call shelters and blah, blah, blah. And I stayed. I stayed. And for a month or two, things were working out. I ended up getting somehow now I ended up with a job. You know, I was staying in a halfway house. Um but I was feeling lonely because I didn't know how to meet people. Mm-hmm. And the only way I knew how to meet people was doing drugs. But I realized very quickly, L.A. is not North Carolina. It's a whole totally different vibe. I have never understood the whole PMP part of doing drugs. We didn't do that in North Carolina. We, I was hanging out with straight gay. About we all hung out, and if we had sex, we had sex, but that was not the purpose of getting the drug. It was not the purpose. It was just like, oh, we hi, okay, you cute, let's just do it. Mm-hmm. I quickly saw the dark, dark side, the even darker side of doing drugs in LA, and it didn't last long at all. It lasted like a couple, a, like uh, a couple months, and I lost every little thing that I did build up very quickly. It was really bad, really bad. I did the well, all my drugs I ever did. I did the most I ever did, and then I was like, okay, I think I'm tired. I'm gonna take a break. Crystal, I had did the most I ever did in a week, and I had bought the most I ever bought. And I remember, I think I pretty much was trying to kill myself with it because I was so miserable, and I just felt like I'm failing. Mm-hmm. And yes. I did the most I ever did. I was really tired. And I remember throwing it away and saying, you know, I think I'm done for a while. Yeah. And that same week, I got kicked out of the house I was living in. (laughs) Because the person I was living with apparently was sober, didn't know what sobriety was, didn't know anything about it. And I remember um, I was staying with this one guy. And then he kicked me out and um, I just felt lost and I didn't know what to do. And I was just tired. I was just tired. And I remember getting a bunch of beer and I bought a bunch of sleeping pill pills. And I was just on the city bus, popping pills and drinking beer, just like going out to Santa Monica and like just die. I was going to just die in Santa Monica as like a homeless person. No one knew who I was. My family would not know. Like I would be, you know, it was one of dramatics. <laughs> they always wondered what happened to me. And I was dead and buried and no one knew. Like these, it was it's dramatics. That's what it was. And I don't know what happened. I just remember I woke up in the bathroom. I had a dream or I thought I was having a dream. And 
I was, you know, I I call her my 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 higher power now, but I used to always have dreams of this female, whatever. And she was like, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And I woke up in a puddle of my own throw up in a bathroom. Don't remember how I got there, but it was the next day. So I didn't die. Probably should have, but I didn't. And I went back to that guy who kicked me out that was letting me stay on his couch. And he called a friend and they took me to a place called Path, People Assisting the Homeless. And when I went to Path, you know, they help you find shelter. They help you find a whole bunch of stuff, but they also are programmed to help the homeless. But it's always a waiting list. So I will put myself on the waiting list to get a bed and help me save money and all that other stuff. But the place they sent me to was, I want to say it was the Vanessa House, which is a rehab place. And I did not know it was a rehab place. I thought it was just a, a shelter place. And that's how I was introduced to sobriety. I went there. I only lasted a week and they kicked me out. But that week, I ended up getting a sponsor. I ended up starting to go to meetings. And I was so broken out. I just, like, I didn't have anything to do. Like, I just, like, I was homeless. I was jobless. I needed some type of purpose. So I just kept going to meetings. I never thought about getting sober. Never it never crossed my mind. Oh, I'm going to stop doing crystal. I'm going to stop doing like it, it, I just thought I was going to take a break. And I don't know. A year came by, two years came by, three years came by. And then, you know, yeah. So that's it for the drugs. There we go. There we go. Amazing. Yes. That's incredible. So that'll be 19 years ago then. Yes. It's been 19 years ago. And I'm still shocked over that it's been over 19 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know that first year kind of take feels like it takes forever, and then I they feel like it just they pile up so quickly when you're like doing good. Um, so how is your um story of addiction and your um entering the adult film industry? How is that connected? Well, the funny thing, I've always been around the adult entertainment world, mm-hmm. even in North Carolina. I knew guys who did porn. I've always been fascinated with porn. I was all straight and gay, like. I always tell people back in the day and like late 90s, early 2000s, they used to come out with a book every year that had all the gay porn stars of that year who filmed what movie it was in. It gave their stats, the age, top. I was so fascinated knowing who these people was. Like I was just always fascinated with porn. And when I moved out to L.A. and I got sober, of course, there was a lot of people in the porn industry that was sober. Yeah. And I hung out with a lot of guys. I started go-go dancing. I started go-go dancing in West Hollywood um, or in LA. And of course, I made friends with guys in the porn industry and I was always with them. I was always going to events that was happening that porn guys was there and people was already thinking I was a porn star. Mm-hmm. Like they already thought I was a porn star. Um, I've always done sex work. I always escorted off and on right. since my 20s. Mm-hmm. You know, I started I started in my early 20s. And so hanging out with porn guys and being a sex worker, people just always assume I did porn. Mm-hmm. And I, I always was fascinated to do it, but I never did it. I would put in applications. And um, and then finally, one company wanted to use me, wanted to fly me out. But the thing it was, this was like the time period where barebacking was still a no-no. 
Yeah. And I knew enough in the industry that if you started off with bareback, you were basically would never work with any big studios at the time. So I never did it. And I actually got into porn. And I always say everything happens for a reason. That's how I deal with my life. Everything in the past, I'm on, everything happens. And so I was escorting at the time, at full time. I was like, you know, had lost my job where I was working at. And I was like, I'm going to be okay. Because I was already escorting a little bit. And I made more money than I was making there. And I said I was going to be okay. And I... I always said a story. I was in San Francisco and it was going to be Halloween that week. And I was going to stay in San Francisco for Halloween because I had never been there. And that Tuesday, Halloween was going to be on a Thursday. And that Tuesday, I decided to go home. I was like, something just told me to go home. Mm-hmm. I got on a mega bus and I just went home. I was like, and I got there at night. And then something told me to just put my ad up. I normally don't. It's Tuesday, slow. But I put my ad up. And a foreign guy hit me up, wanted to see me. I went over to his hotel. It ended up being two of them. It was a couple. I made a lot of money. They liked me a lot. Did they kept me for like five hours? Mm-hmm. Then they had me come back the next night. And then they had me come back the next night. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. And there was another escort there. Now they was partying. They was doing drugs. And and I don't care. I have had to learn. I have rules. I get into my rules. But um, because um, because the other escort was so bad, I told them that net, that third night when he walked in, I was like, I'm leaving. I'm not staying. The amount of money y'all paying him to be here, y'all could be giving me because he did nothing. And I did all the work. And they liked me so much for saying that, that they flew me to Europe. For three weeks to Switzerland to show me their country. Well, before I went, I filled out an application for Tim Tales. And Tim called me like within 45 minutes. and was like, I want you. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> he was like, yes, well, let's work it out. And so while I was in Europe, they flew me. I did two scenes. And that's how Ray Diesel started his career. And it all happened because I decided to come home early um, on that Tuesday night. And because of those clients, but um, I was doing sex work throughout my sobriety. Okay, I made rules for myself even back then when I used to do drugs. Mm-hmm. When I first started escorting, I had made five rules for myself. Five. Um, I'm not going to give you all the rules, but I made five rules, and in in in. One of the rules was stay in control. And another rule was, you know, know your worth, right? Mm-hmm. And another one is write a list of things you will and will not do, right? Yeah. And so I've always stuck with those rules. And so when I got sober, one of my rules that I added on there is no drugs, no matter what. Yeah. You know, so being in a sex world and being in a porn world, that is my number one rule. Like I've had clients that are doing drugs. I'm being very thankful. I'm very thankful and I'm very blessed that I've never had the urge. Yeah. Clients never give me the urge, you know, to want to use. I have missed out on a lot of work. I have lost a lot of clients that wanted me, you know, I could have made $2,000 if I just did a bump or if I just did a show. No, no, I'm not going to do it. It's not worth it. No, like, like, 
if you want someone to do drugs with, you could easily go on Grinder and just find somebody to come over and do the drugs with you. My job is to have a hard dick perform, make sure you have a good time and bounce out. Mm-hmm. And so I can say, no, I walk away. It's hard for a lot of sex workers to do that, mm-hmm. um, especially ones that party, but they've tried not to party. So, but that's how I got in the industry. That's how I got in the porn industry is, you know, escorting mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah. And having really solid boundaries is really good. I think that's awesome. Yes. Um, yeah. So, um, and, you know, you being sober, how does the industry like support you? Like, is it how how do you feel like the industry treats guys who are involved with adult films who are sober? Well, people get this weird mixed thing about the industry. You know, like I'll never forget one DJ hit me up when he saw that I filmed for Treasure Island and he was like, thought I had relapse. And I was like, why would you think I relapsed? He was like, well, it's Treasure Island. Don't they usually have guys high? That's what they look like. I was like, that's how they film. But they're most people in the industry sober, you know, yeah. in the industry, even if they aren't sober, they're not wanting you to be on set high. They, like the industry has changed a lot. This is not the 70s. This is not the 80s. Back then, yes, they probably partied. They was making a lot of money. It took three, four days to film one scene. They was having a good time. They didn't really care about that. Now in society, money is not the same in the industry. They do not have the luxury to be renting a house that's going to cost them like $2,000 and have you show up and be high on set and can't get the scene done because they're trying to shoot three scenes. They're trying to get as much scenes they can out of that one house in that one day. Mm-hmm. So they don't want you showing up high. You actually will lose bookings being high. Mm-hmm. That you and, and a lot of the people that's in the industry behind the scenes are sober. Yeah. A lot of the foreign guys that's in the industry are sober. Now, some don't stay, but that's just life itself. You know, people always like, oh, the porn industry turns people into drug addicts. I was like, no, they turn into drug addicts because they're drug addicts. They got nothing to do with the job. Like, I know doctors. I know lawyers. I know senators. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're all drug users. Mm-hmm. It's not about the drug. It's it's not about the job. It's about it's about the drug, right? Yeah. So I've I've gotten more work because I'm sober. They know I'm gonna show up and be professional. They know I'm gonna be hard when I need to be hard. They know I'm gonna come when I need to come. They know the shoot can get through very easy, very quickly. You know, I have shot a couple of times on set with somebody that was high, you know, and it was clear he was high. You know, even though he was supposed to be sober. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you try to make the best out of it, whatnot. But most studios do not want you to be high. They don't care what you do outside of of mm-hmm. that. But like even the people who directors or whatever that might do drugs themselves. They're not wanting you to show up high because yeah. they got a time limit. That's money. They don't have the they don't have the luxury I'll be like, okay, girl, we'll wait for you to come down from your G. No. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-mm. No. It's, it's, a, you know, it's, it's, it's more about building the fantasy than actually like, you know, you know, having guys high on set. That makes sense. Because that was one of my first things was like, because I've known for a long time that Treasure Island kind of fantasy was like, 
that funky feel. The sketchy, whole yeah. motel, sweaty, low lighting type of thing. And they, and again, the times I've been with them, I've never known anyone to be high on drugs. I just, I haven't. They don't, they don't, they're, trust me, you, you wouldn't have enough time to do drugs. The, sh the shoot is very quick. <laughs> they're yeah. like, you're there maybe an hour and is out. Now they have, they have done some shit like that. Yes. I was thinking about the one in London. That was really bad, but there was another director in London who filmed that. They got in a lot of trouble for that one too. But most of the guys that film for Treasure Island, they're sober and they don't want to deal with that. They, they, they're, they, they're picking the models and they're not, telling you to do drugs. Now, if someone just shows up and like they done did some G and no one knew, there's nothing they could do about it. But they they don't let you sit up on set and smoking and do all the other stuff. No. Mm -mm. Yeah. Interesting. Ain't got time for that. Right, exactly. Thank you for tuning in to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast. Please come back next week for the conclusion of this incredible episode. Please take a moment to like, subscribe, share, and comment. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Sober Gay Sunday. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay sober, guys. I'm so sick of small talk and tell me something you're dropping in me on my head with your biggest mistakes. I don't want your daily drama, fill me in on family traumas, tell me all the medication that you take. Cause life's so short, we're playing so fast.